Welcome to Concerning CAMS, brought to you by Education Pathways. I'm Kevin Connickney, your host. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's get started. Our topic today is accounting, how associations are taxed. I have the pleasure to be here with Mark Whitfield. Mark is a CPA with Stromer and Company. Welcome, Mark, to Concerning CAMS. And could you please start by telling us a bit about your background in the accounting field? Sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm a University of Florida graduate. Go Gators. I have a bachelor's bachelor in accounting and a master's in taxation, and I've been a CPA for about 30 years or so. Excellent. Um, the first question I wanted to ask you is, what, what forms can a CIRA file? And is it pronounced CIRA? Is it pronounced CIRA? How do people no- normally refer to it? They refer to it as CIRAs. Okay, CIRAs. And what does that mean? That stands for Common Interest Realty Associations. Okay, and so what forms can a CIRAs use, uh, or should I say, what, what forms can a CIRAs file? Well, all CIRAs, CIRAs are generally corporations, but the type of tax return they can file depends on the specific type of CIRA that they are. There's condo associations, homeowners associations, cooperative housing corporations, and timeshare associations. Okay. Um, and condos and HOAs can file either Form 1120 or Form 1120H. Co-ops file Form 1120C, and timeshares can file either Form 1120 or 1120H as well. Okay. And what's the difference between these two forms? Uh, basically, um, the obvious difference is the 1120H is a one-page return. Um, the tax rates are different for each one. And the associations that file in 1120H will pay a flat tax at 30%. Um, Associations that file Form 1120 will pay tax at a flat 21%. And the 1120 uh, is more complicated form. It's at least five or six pages long um, compared to the one page. And um, how, how do they know if they can fill out this form? Are there any tests that they have to, to meet or any proof, so to speak, they have to make to, to use that form? Uh, to file Form 1120H, they do have to qualify. So there's basically four tests that the associations uh, need to qualify, and those are a 60% income test, a substantially residential test, a 90% expenditure test, and a lack of private benefit test. And the substantially residential test is pretty easy to meet. It just means that substantially all the units must be held for residential purposes. Um, 80% of those have to be for residential purposes. The 60% income test means basically that 60% of the association's gross income the tax year must consist of exempt function income. Um, and that's basically income from owners in their capacity as unit owners and not as customers for goods or services. So goods or services meaning if they have like a restaurant, those would be restaurant fees, they would not be part of that 60% income test. The 90, 90% expenditure test basically means that the association's expenses for the tax year must be for the purpose of carrying on one or more of the exempt functions of a condo or homeowners association. And so... Basically, all those are is for the operating expenditures and capital expenditures made for the acquisition, construction, management, maintenance, and care of the association property. Okay, so to break it down for our listeners, our CAMs or, or board members, so um, someone lives in a condo association and they pay their, their uh, monthly or quarterly assessment to the association, and... Um, Part of that that assessment, I guess, goes to the reserves. Part of it goes to other functions. Can you can you help us to understand when 
can you break down for us when that those funds are received, which ones would be the, the funds that would uh, you know be taxable, and which ones would be those funds that wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be taxable? So basically, how the zeros uh, are taxed is exempt function income and exempt function expenses, and then there's also with member income and member expenses. So depending on the tax form that's filed, income and expenses are kind of broken up in those two buckets. Um, if they file an 1120H, income's considered exempt or non-exempt. Exempt income is basically uh, assessments and dues that are collected that are charged ratably to, to all the unit owners. Mm-hmm. Um, and member income is basically assessments and any other fees that is generated by members they could also be from goods and services. So if they have a restaurant um, or a golf course, those fees are also considered member if they're paid by a member of the association. I see. And then who who typically from the association do you work with as a, as a CPA? Is it the board members? Do you work with the CAMs? How does that usually work? Um, we usually work with the management companies mostly because they're the ones who are going to provide us all the accounting information. If we do an audit, we, we get most of that stuff from our auditors as well. I see. So um, who actually fills out the paperwork then that goes to your accounting firm? Um, if it's audit, if it's if they're under audit or getting an audit by our company, then we wait till usually the audit's complete, and then we go by the audited financial statements and prepare the tax return off those. If they don't have an audit, then we usually take the internal financials that we get from the management company and prepare the tax return, tax return based on those. How is taxable income determined? Exempt, non-exempt versus member, non-member? It depends on the form filed. If Form 1120H is filed, income is considered either exempt or non-exempt. If Form 1120 is filed, income is either member or non-member. So exempt function income is income received from association members solely as a function of their membership in the association. It has to meet four tests. They have the source test, nature test, purpose test, and gross income test. Essentially, the income must be received as dues or assessment from owners, must be paid solely as a result of membership in the association, and as a general rule, assessed ratably to all owners. Fees paid for services do not meet the nature test, so amounts received must be used for qualified purposes, or in other words, pay the operating and capital expenses for the year. Income excluded from tax is also excluded from exempt function income, such as tax-exempt interest. Pretty much every other income stream is considered non-exempt, except for late fees charged to members and transfer fees. Non-exempt function income can be reduced by expenses directly connected to that income and allocated on a reasonable basis. There's little guidance on how to allocate or how much can be allocated, but some court cases support that accounting and management fees can be allocated against interest income, as well as audit fees, tax prep fees, DNO insurance, and fidelity insurance. Keeping in mind that basically the expenses allocated cannot exceed 10% of gross expenditures or they'll fail a 90% test. The net of the non-exempt income over non-exempt expenses is either positive and taxes due if the net income is over $100, or if the expenses exceed the income, there's a loss and no taxes due. Now, Form 1120 is filed. Income is now segregated into member and non-member. Essentially, all gross income received by members is considered member income, even if it was derived from fees paid for services. So, for example, restaurant fees charged to members would be member income for 1120 purposes, but non-exempt income for 1120H purposes, since it's for fees paid for services. Non-member income is everything else, basically income from non-members and investment income. 
Again, expenses can be reasonably allocated to non-member income. Now you have two buckets of income and expenses, and you have to determine net income on both. The non-member portion will be taxable if there is excess income over expenses. If there are excess expenses over income, then there is a net operating loss. If you have excess member income over member expenses, that income is taxable. However, there's a special revenue ruling, 70-604, which allows a tax on excess member income to become tax-free if it's either applied to the next subsequent tax year, thereby reducing assessments or refunding the excess to the members. For a large majority of associations, the only taxable income they have is interest and application fees, and we can usually allocate enough expenses to eliminate any tax due. However, reserves are starting to build back up and interest rates are creeping up slightly, so associations have more interest income, and finally some of that has become taxable. And then earlier you'd mentioned some different tax rates. What are the tax rates um, for, for these different types of uh, filings? Presently, associations that file Form 1120H, they pay a flat rate of 30% on their non-exempt income. Associations that file Form 1120 pay tax at a flat 21% rate now. Part of the tax changes a few years ago, the rate used to be 15% on the first 50000 of taxable income. So there was potentially a larger tax savings back then when if you filed 1120 compared to 1120H, but now it's obviously shrunk a little bit now that that tax rate is now flat 21%. I see. And then when are tax returns due for associations? The tax returns are due April 15th. Um, if they're a calendar year association, there's also a six-month extension that can be filed, which extends the due date to October 15th. And what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of filing each type of return? Um, the advantages of, of filing the 1120H are, one, that it's easier to complete being only a one-page return. Um, there's less risk involved. Uh, exempt income is not taxable, so you can have essentially $100,000 of exempt income, for example, over exempt expenses, and it would never be subject to tax. Also, some states don't require a state tax return to be filed. Florida is one of them. So if they file an 1120H, there's no Florida tax return due. Some disadvantages would be that these association are, is taxed at a higher tax rate of 30% or 32% for timeshares. They're not entitled to a net operating loss. So if there's excess exempt expenses over exempt income, it can't be carried back or forward to reduce income from future or prior years. Some of the advantages for filing 1120 would be that taxable income is taxed at a lower rate of 21%, and certain tax planning opportunities may exist. Um, net operating losses can be generated from non-member income, and those can be carried back or forward as well. Um, some disadvantages would be the risk of compliance is higher, the form is much longer, and the cost would be higher to prepare, which could offset some of the benefits received. Also, a state tax return is due, and state income taxes may be incurred, and also net member income could end up being taxable in a subsequent year. Mark, thank you for joining us today on Concerning CAMS to talk about accounting, how associations are taxed. If listeners here have additional questions, how can they best reach you or your associates at Stromer & Company? They can call our firm at 239-433-1002, or they can email me at markw, at M-A-R-C-W, at stromercpa.com, or they can visit our website at www.stromercpa.com, which has a lot of information on it. Thank you, Mark. We'll be sure to include the contact information you provided in the episode notes for this podcast. 